Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly web scene for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is called Belonging. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, April 17, 2016. The question at the heart of this week's gospel reading is a question for the ages. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. It was a late December day in Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking in the portico of Solomon, an old and revered part of the temple. As usual, he was drawing a crowd. This time, the people who gathered around him were devout Jews who had come to town to celebrate the Feast of the Dedication, better known to us as Hanukkah. No doubt they had heard some wild rumors, or listened in on Jesus' enigmatic sermons, or witnessed one of his mind-boggling miracles. They were not unfamiliar with the teacher from Nazareth, They knew enough to understand that he was complex and elusive. Hence the question, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. When I was growing up, steeped in the church and steeped in scripture, my friends and I took an arrogant pleasure in mocking gospel characters who didn't accept Jesus' messiahship from the get-go. Why were they so thick, we'd ask each other in smug amazement. If we'd been there, if we saw the things the disciples saw and heard the words the crowds heard, we would have believed on the spot. Yeah, right. Thank God for the humility that comes with time. These days, my heart goes out to people who question Jesus during his time on earth. Granted, their motives were mixed. Some were baiting him, hoping to provoke a gossip-worthy scandal. Others wanted Jesus to lead a revolution against Rome, or establish a rival religion, or wave his magic wand in the air and rain miracles from the sky. Some were simply eager debaters, hankering for a hot argument with a famous rabbi. And yet, something about their question still haunts me, because I know what it's like to feel as if God is keeping me in suspense, taking me on roundabout paths, keeping his silence, and making my spiritual journey more complicated than I believe it needs to be. I can't count the times I've started a prayer with the words of those people in the temple. If you are. If you are good. If you are powerful. If you are merciful if you are loving, if, if, if. If you are the Messiah, then stop talking in riddles. Speak plainly, behave predictably, make my tiresome disbelief impossible. Take this world of swirling, dubious gray and turn it black and white once and for all. How does Jesus respond? Well, not plainly, go figure, and not, at first glance anyway, kindly. I have told you and you do not believe, he says with discernible impatience in his voice, and then the icy clincher. You do not believe, because you do not belong to my sheep. Ouch. I'll admit it, I've spent several days now wrestling with the harshness of that sentence. You do not believe, because you do not belong to my sheep. What can such a stark, cut-and-dry pronouncement mean? I suppose the easy dodge would be to insist that the sentence does not apply to me, After all, I'm a cradle believer. I grew up in the church, I know my Bible, I love the liturgy, and I say my prayers. Surely I both believe and belong. Except when I don't. The nagging trouble with Jesus' indictment is that it does apply to my spiritual experience. Not rarely, but often. I doubt with alarming regularity. I question God's goodness, His power, and even His existence more often than I'd care to admit. I can't know for sure what the motivations of those people in the temple were on that long-ago December day, but I know my own. When I ask Jesus to stop keeping me in suspense, when I insist that he speak plainly, what I'm really saying is, I don't trust you. I trust neither your willingness to speak to me nor my capacity to hear your voice. 
You're supposed to be my good shepherd. I'm supposed to know, trust, and love your voice. But I very often don't. So what now? At first glance, Jesus' reply might appear to suggest that belonging to him depends on believing in him. But in fact, what Jesus says is exactly the opposite. You struggle to believe because you don't consent to belong. In other words, belief doesn't come first. It can't come first. Belonging does. According to this text, whatever belief I arrive at in this life will come not from a creed or a cleverly worded sermon, but from the daily, hourly business of belonging to Jesus' flock, of walking in the footsteps of the shepherd, living in the company of fellow sheep, and listening in real time for the voice of the one whose classroom is rocky hills, hidden pastures, and deeply shadowed valleys. If I won't follow him into those places, places of both tranquility and treachery, I will never belong to him at all. I wonder if Jesus resisted the crowd's question that day because it was so pitifully inadequate. What good would it have done if he'd stood up in the temple at their insistence and yelled, Yes, yes, in fact, I am the Christ. Would anything have changed? Suddenly would his parables, his countercultural teachings, and his strange miracles have coalesced into an easy common sense? I doubt it. Jesus was a storytelling rabbi, far more interested in formation than in formula. Maybe by refusing to speak plainly, Jesus was honoring human life for the incredibly complex thing it is. After all, one doesn't speak plainly about the greatest mysteries of the universe. Jesus came to teach us about truth, about love, and about eternal life in God's just and transformative kingdom. One doesn't simply profess belief in such weighty and mysterious things. One lives into them, questions into them, believes into them, grows into them. Sheep know their shepherd because they are his. They walk, graze, feed, and sleep in his footsteps, beneath his rod and staff, within constant earshot of his voice. So we believe in the Christ as we belong to him, as we allow ourselves to become fully and deeply his. He walks ahead of us, and we will only learn his path by walking it. For books this week, we review Faith Unraveled by Rachel Held Evans. Brought up the daughter of an evangelical theologian in a thickly conservative Southern culture, Rachel Held Evans was trained early in Christian apologetics. From grade school onwards, she took literally the Apostle Peter's command that Christians always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks. So she learned the right Bible verses and honed the appropriate debating skills until she could argue the finer points of a Christian worldview, one steeped in young earth creationism, pro-life politics, biblical literalism, and the superiority of Christian truth claims, with opponents from any religious, agnostic, or atheistic background, all without batting an eye. But then, 80 years after the famous Scopes Monkey Trial made a spectacle of Christianity and drew national attention to her hometown of Dayton, Tennessee, Held Evans experienced a religious and spiritual trial of her own. She began to doubt. Faith Unraveled examines these doubts and describes her gutsy journey from fundamentalist certainty to a more progressive and evolving Christianity. Though written with self-deprecating candor and a lovely sense of humor, this book is an argument. Held Evans argues with herself, with the Bible, with God, and with many tenets of American evangelicalism. Though she credits her upbringing with instilling in her heart a love for God, Scripture, and the Church, she blasts the rigid, anxiety-based version of faith that caused many in her generation to enter the world, quote, with both an unparalleled level of conviction and a crippling lack of curiosity. So ready with the answers, we didn't know what the questions were anymore. So prepared to defend the faith, we missed the thrill of discovering it for ourselves. So convinced we had God right, it never occurred to us that we might be wrong. 
Hilda Evans remains a devoted and passionate believer, but her faith looks and feels quite different now. If I have learned anything, she writes, it is that doubt is the mechanism by which faith evolves. It is a refining fire, a hot flame that keeps our faith alive and moving and bubbling about, where certainty would only freeze it on the spot. Widely considered one of the leading voices in progressive evangelicalism and Christian feminism, Helda Evans' other books, also well worth reading, include A Year of Biblical Womanhood and Searching for Sunday, Loving, Leaving, and Finding the Church. Faith Unraveled originally appeared under the title Evolving in Monkey Town. For movies this week, <clears throat> we review The Testimony. This 28-minute documentary tells the story of the Minova trial, in which 39 Congolese soldiers were accused of systematically raping their own citizens in the village of Minova. The film was shortlisted for the 2015 Best Documentary Short Subject. During a 10-day rampage in November of 2012, Government soldiers terrorized the citizens of Minova, including a United Nations estimate of 130 rapes. As women, said one victim, we are used as a weapon of war. After ten days of hearings and a thousand victim participants, the failure of the Congolese government to hold its own military accountable horrified the world. But then, as all too often happens, the atrocity, atrocity faded from the news feeds. The movie is hard to watch, but its tone and tenor honor the bravery and empowerment of the women who speak out. At least the victims got to tell their story in a report by Human Rights Watch called Justice on Trial, Lessons from the Minova Rape Case in the Democratic Republic of Congo. For an interview with director Vanessa Block was present at the trial and producer Stephen Titch, see www.wheretowatch.com. I watched this film on Netflix streaming. And finally, for poetry this week, we have Wordsworth's The Daffodils. I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high or vales and hills when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils, beside the lake, beneath the trees, fluttering and dancing in the breeze. Continuous as the stars that shine and twinkle on the Milky Way, they stretched in never-ending line along the margin of a bay. Ten thousand saw I at a glance, tossing their heads in sprightly dance. The waves beside them danced, but they outdid the sparkling waves in glee. A poet could not be but gay in such a jocund company. I gazed and gazed, but little thought what wealth the show to me had brought. For oft when on my couch I lie in vacant or in pensive mood, they flash upon that inward eye which is the bliss of solitude. And then my heart with pleasure fills and dances with the daffodils. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, April 17th, 2016. I'm Debbie Thomas.